our gospel lesson for today, Transfiguration Sunday, the basis for our white pyramids and the white clerics that I'm wearing today, comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There's something that I've noticed, a, a tendency that I've picked up on over the course of quite a few years now though I've started to see it a little bit more often uh, just within the last couple of years in my own personal experience. And this is a tendency that we typically see in teenagers, not only teenagers, but we see it a lot. And it's the tendency when it's really, really cold outside that they don't worry about bundling up, especially when they're on their way to school. I cannot tell you the number of times when I've sat in the school parking lot and I've seen individuals, usually boys, but I've seen girls do this too, and they might be wearing a sweatshirt. A lot of times they're wearing shorts when it's below zero outside as they walk from the parking lot into the school. I've never understood it. Now, maybe it's the farm kid in me and the, the, the number of times every day when I would have to be outside doing chores. And when it's cold, you bundle up because you're going to be outside for a while. Maybe that's the difference right there. They think it's going to be a very brief time that they're going to be outside. And so that's why they don't care about putting a coat on when they're on their way to school. Now again, I've started to see this in my own kids as they're moving through their teenage years as well, and I just kind of shake my head at it, but there you go. Now as I think about this idea, this, this probably the belief that, well, I'm not gonna be outside very long, even though it's cold, so I'm not gonna worry about it, it reminds me of something that I've noticed about myself, something that I joke around about, even though it's probably more of a serious matter, but in the years that I have been here in Underwood and the, the work that I've done with the various funeral directors, I oftentimes kid around that they can tell how cold it is outside by how fast I talk when we're doing a graveside service. Now, of course, that's a serious thing, but it sort of reflects the same idea. When it's really, really cold, I talk really fast because I want to get through it so we can all get back inside. Now, thinking about all of this, you're probably wondering, Pastor Scott, where are you going with this? Well, I'm actually thinking about all of this because there is a portion of the liturgy, the words that we speak at the graveside, that, that kind of really pop into my memory or I'm, I'm reminded of them as I think about the theme of today in our scripture lesson. Now, part of the liturgy that we use at the graveside comes from 1 Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul is talking about the promise that will one day come to fulfillment when Jesus returns and the kingdom of heaven comes into its fullness or into its fulfillment, ultimately at some unknown time out there in the future. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it basically, the Apostle Paul writes, listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. There will come a day when we will not all die, but we will all be changed. 
It's this promise that, that in an instant, some change is gonna come over us, both those who are still living as well as those who have already died, as we somehow physically enter into the reality of the resurrection. Now, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it will be. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but it's this promise that we too will be changed. Now, it's the, the idea of change, this instantaneous change that seemingly comes out of nowhere. That's where I'm connecting into our transfiguration story for today. Now, I love this story. And admittedly, it's helpful for me having been to, uh, to Israel, having been to the promised land, to, to understand the setting of this situation just a little bit. Now, from where we've been in past weeks, we've moved forward into uh, Jesus' ministry. He's, he's, he's quite a ways through it now. And so all of the disciples who have been following around, they've been seeing all the different things. The ministry's been going on for a while. The miracles have been happening. The teachings have been happening. All of this has been happening. And yet things continue. And in this instance, we see another time when Jesus takes the ones that I call the big three, Peter and James and John. He invites them. He brings these three, and we hear they go up a high mountain by themselves. Now, this mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, as it's called now, it's in the northern part of the Holy Land. It's, it's in the area of Galilee, which is very green, and it's very lush. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And it's kind of this lone mountain or this lone high spot in the middle of a large, flat, open valley, or an open plain, we might call it. And now, if you're thinking about mountains, first thing I want you to do, if you're thinking about the Rocky Mountains, sort of take that out of your head. A better comparison would be the Appalachian Mountains out in the east, which are very rolling and they're covered with trees, typically, if you've been out there. And that is really the best way to describe this one lone mountain. It's very high, but it's covered in trees. It's very green. It's very lush. It's very beautiful. And when they say it's high, folks, they're not kidding. When we went up this mountain, it took us about 15 minutes to drive up it. Imagine how long it would have taken to walk up it. But regardless, as you go up and you see out underneath you, this flat, open, beautiful sight. It's glorious. And I can only imagine that as Peter and James and John were following Jesus, probably huffing and puffing from the, the exertion of walking up this, this, this high, high, high hill, but they were probably like, oh, this is beautiful. This is spectacular. I'm so glad Jesus brought us with him. And then at the top of the mountain, something amazing happens. Now we hear that Jesus is transfigured before them that he has somehow changed, that his physical appearance somehow changes. Now, the original word actually sounds a whole lot like metamorphosis. So if you're thinking the change that a caterpillar undergoes with a butterfly, I can only assume that's accurate, that somehow the physical appearance of Jesus is changed. And we hear that his, his clothing becomes dazzling white so that no, uh, no launderer on earth could ever make. Now, I don't know exactly what to make of this description, but I can only imagine uh, in my head that somehow Jesus, like, just starts to glow. I don't know, almost like he's a, a spotlight. He's a million lumen spotlight, and he just ping, and he starts to glow, and, and his clothing becomes the ultimate appearance for what could have been a Tide bleach commercial during the Super Bowl. It would have been really amazing. Regardless, something, th this change happens. And in the midst of it, then all of a sudden, we have these two other people show up, Moses and Elijah. They show up and they're talking with Jesus. Now, I wonder, how, did, how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? Were they wearing name tags? Or did they announce themselves like, hi, I'm Moses, and hi, I'm Elijah? Or did they just kind of somehow know? 
I'm not sure, but we hear that they show up and they're in conversation with Jesus. Now, this is an amazing thing when we consider these three in communication with one another. We have Jesus, who is the divine authority, the authority of of God on earth, which is something that we've been talking about, this this amazing divine authority that Jesus embodies that that has been the, the presence within our gospel lessons over the last few weeks. And we have that new divine authority in conversation with the old authority because Moses is the representative of the law and Elijah is the representative of the prophets who would have been the voice of God in what we call the Old Testament times or or back in the Hebrew scripture. So we have these these representatives of the old covenant and the old uh, uh, authority now in conversation with the representative of the new authority. All of this tied together. All of this just amazing and out of nowhere. And we've got these three other dudes. We've got Peter, and we've got James, and we've got John. And I can only imagine they're standing there like, oh, with their mouth hanging open, like, what is happening? We hear that Peter speaks up. Peter's often the one who speaks up. And we hear that he doesn't know what to say, so he just blurts out whatever comes to mind because they're terrified. And whatever it seems that that is popping into Peter's head to say, it almost seems like he recognizes that as amazing and as mind-blowing as this moment is, it's worth capturing. This is somehow good, even if it's scary, so we should stay here. And so he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's stay. I'll make three dwellings. I'll make one for you and one for Moses and Elijah, and we'll all stay here. Let's capture this moment. Let's somehow somehow bring it under control. Now again, Peter says this. He's just grasping at straws because he's so terrified. We don't know what the other two guys say, but I can imagine they're terrified as well because whatever is happening, Whatever it is that is going on, both in the narration that we have and in in the details that we don't have, whatever it was that was going on on top of this high mountain as these guys are there just witnessing it, I can only imagine how utterly and completely mind-meltingly strange and weird and, and, and more than they could handle that this whole situation was. We have evidence of this type of thing throughout the scriptures. Whenever the divine seems to show up, whether it's the presence of God or whether it's an angel or whatever, over and over and over again in the scriptures, we continue to hear evidence that the individual who is on the receiving end of this must be scared out of their minds because over and over again, we always hear the angels say, do not be afraid. I'm not here to kill you. This is a good thing. But the divine is so much more than we can handle. The divine is so much more than we can comprehend or wrap our heads around. And I can only imagine how terrifying it must have been to see the literal action of divine happening here in our reality. No wonder the disciples were scared. Now, as Peter makes this statement, as he just blurts out this this thing, trying to, let's bring this under control. Let's stay here in the midst of it, but, but let me do something, though I feel like I'm accomplishing something. Then we hear that a cloud overshadows them, which if you've ever been on a mountaintop, you know that can happen almost out of nowhere. So this cloud comes over them, and this booming voice out of the cloud, the voice of God, which we've heard before, makes a statement that we've also heard before, makes a claim upon Jesus. This is my beloved son. And then the voice of God gives a command. Listen 
to him. Now with that, the divine moment is over. The cloud disappears, the bright light disappears, the voice of God is gone, Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's Peter and James and John and Jesus who is still with them. This whole moment could only have been described as they have done. I can only imagine that whatever it was that they were experiencing and seeing, they couldn't comprehend it. They probably couldn't really describe it. And especially they couldn't describe the action of God until after it was brought to completion with the resurrection of Jesus. I think that's why we hear right at the end, don't tell anyone about this. It's not going to make sense until after the fact. What you have seen is just a glimmer. There's more. So just hold on to it. I think throughout all of this, maybe this whole situation offers us something that we can relate to. This utter disruption that changes everything. Now, we've been talking over and over and over again. Probably you're getting tired of hearing it, but it continues to be it continues to be the case, we continue to talk about how this ongoing pandemic has been an utter disruption to pretty much every aspect of life. It's changed the way that we've socialized. It's changed the way that we go to the store. It's changed the way that we either stay home or go out. It's changed the way that we interact with one another. It's changed the way that we gather as a community of faith here. It's changed everything, and not just for us here in this particular church, not just Underwood Lutheran, or not just this little corner of Iowa where we're at, but it's happening all over the world. Everything has been disrupted by this, and it's scary. And it's frustrating, and we don't know what to make of it. And as we think we're starting to get a handle on one thing, then things switch up and we have to change everything. It's ongoing, and it's frustrating, and it's hard. And maybe we continue to ask the question, God, what do we do with this? And maybe for you, you've asked that question, and you feel like you haven't gotten an answer. Or the answer that you've gotten hasn't been the one that you hoped for. And we're all just trying to control things which we have no control over. Like Peter saying, it's good to be here. Let's build a, let's build a tent so we can kind of put this in a box. We can't put all this in a box. And all we can do is kind of keep rolling with the punches and keep moving forward and just kind of keep being in the moment. As we consider all of this, not just COVID, but all of life, remembering how little control we have over anything, ultimately. We remember that there's always going to be stuff that's going to knock us for a loop. Some things are going to happen that we can't make heads or tails of. Things that are going to be scary, things that are going to be strange, things that are going to be a disruption. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Who knows? There's countless different things that throw us for a loop, and we don't know what to do. And so maybe the only thing that we can do in light of this passage today, in light of this story, in light of this theme, is remember the claim, the promise, and the command. This is my beloved son. I claim him as my son. A claim that we share because God has claimed each of us as beloved children. But then ultimately, the command, which is the same one that Peter, James, and John received, is maybe the same one that we need to pay attention to. Listen. Just keep 
listening, this thing that's going on now, you're not going to be able to control it. You're not going to be able to make heads or tails of it. And it is only after the fact that you can even begin to fathom what's been going on and the action that God has been taken, even when it doesn't feel like it. The divine was showing through the human. The divine was breaking into our reality in this instance. And it was too much for those three disciples to handle. And in their terror, they revealed that. And yet in the midst of it, God makes this promise. I am with you, so listen. That's the promise that's revealed when we hear, once the moment was over, Jesus was still there. He had never gone anywhere. And folks, the presence of God doesn't go anywhere, even in those times when it might not feel like it. We have been given the promise We profess the promise, the promise of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God flowing through the world dwells within us. It empowers us and it unites us as the body of Christ here on earth. It connects us with one another, even in the times when it might not feel like it, and it calls us into community. Sometimes being that community, being part of that body of Christ, means you stand up with and for the one who's struggling and they can't make heads or tails of it and they're, they're terrified with their lack of control. Sometimes what we are called to do is to believe in this for them and to repeat it for them until the time comes when they're able to look back and realize that God was with them the whole time, that the body of Christ is present that the power of the Holy Spirit is there and that ultimately the promise is that God will never be gone. You have been claimed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the action of Jesus by God the Father. May we remember that. May we cling to that. May we hold on to that until that one glorious day out there in some unknown future when Jesus comes back and all of this ultimately comes to fruition and we experience that.